Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. Please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened, your tray table is in an upright and locked position, and that you are ready to get weird and think different. Please prepare for takeoff. Today is Wednesday. It is March 17th, and we are back with another episode of Destination Different. So last week, I turned 29 years old. The big 2-9. You can save the well wishes, the birthday cards. You missed your chance. It was last week. You can try again next year. But I always think birthdays are a good opportunity to reflect, think back on what you've accomplished, what you missed out on, and prep ahead for for the year to come. I also was very lucky to spend my birthday sitting on the beach doing nothing but reading books and writing in my journal. And the book that I chose for this beach vacation was Matthew McConaughey's new memoir, autobiography, thingy, called Green Lights. And he has this concept that life is all about chasing the green lights, that there's yellow and red lights that might get in your way, but it's about turning as many of those as you can into green lights. He's a little bit of a wackadoo. He's a little bit kind of crazy, but in the most brilliant way possible. He is lived a life that many of us can only hope to imagine But he is very, very smart, very talented, extremely driven, and I think has a much more interesting pulse on the world and just enjoying living, as he calls it, maybe more than anybody I've ever read. So I read his book cover to cover. It took me about, I don't know, a couple hours. Couldn't put it down. He's got some amazing stories some fascinating anecdotes and career pivots and turns. But there was one piece of advice as I was, you know, celebrating my birthday and and thinking about the, the next year to come that I thought was exceptionally interesting. So he was actually going to school and college to study law. He was gonna, I think he spent maybe a year or two at the University of Texas, Austin, studying to be a defense attorney. His dad, who you would learn in the book, is a notorious hard-ass, I don't think was going to be thrilled with this decision, that he no longer wanted to be studying law. He wanted to switch it up and do film school. And he made this decision, but at a certain point, he was like, I got I to gotta call my dad. I got to tell him that I'm, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I want to go to film school. He called his dad, terrified of what his dad might say on the other end. His dad picked up the phone. McConaughey says, dad, I want to go to film school. Doesn't say anything, but okay. Don't half-ass it. And he hangs up the phone. And from that day forward, McConaughey was laser-focused on not half-assing whatever it was that he wanted to accomplish in the world of film and movies. 
And safe to say he's done pretty well for himself, and he has not half-assed a single thing. Guy's won Best Actor. He's made boatloads of money. He has done comedies. He's done rom-coms. He's done dramas. He's done TV. He's done movies. He's done done everything. And I just loved his dad, his hard-ass dad's simple line of, don't half-ass it. And that's not to say, as I was looking back, I'm like, I don't think I've half-assed this podcast, but I don't know if I've full-assed McConaughey'd this podcast either. So in my 29th year, that is the goal, that is the motto, is to not half-ass anything, particularly this Destination Different podcast. And speaking of not half-assing anything, the guest on this week's show is a guy who does not half-ass anything. I was so, so impressed with our guest on this week's show. His name is Carmine Mattia, and he is a, I don't even know how to describe him. He is a musician at heart. He is a composer, a beat maker, a rapper, a singer, a guitar player, a musical aficionado, a content creator. He does a little bit of everything. And so we talked about in this episode his progression as a musician from learning the guitar and the saxophone and the piano as a kid to starting a band and going hard and performing in shows to taking a job that took him to Abbey Road with classical composers to scoring his first short film to now, you know, he's releasing on this Friday a rap song with uh, a few of his other bandmates. The guy is just incredibly interesting uh, and so tapped into so many different elements of the music industry. So I'll shut up and, and turn it over to him, but I'm so excited to introduce this week's guest, Carmine Mattia, composer, musician, singer, songwriter, incredibly interesting guy. I hope you enjoy on this St. Patrick's Day episode of Destination Different. big bolognese guy okay I had, I had to get started with the pasta just to get that out of the way um, what about so, you I ask you the same question yeah my italian i think i think a, a really well done like really great lasagna probably okay. probably wins me over there something like it's it's not not everybody can nail it like a really good lasagna i think would be my my go-to good. You want to hear something fucked up about me is uh, I am fully lactose intolerant and I'm oh. Italian and I'm fully Italian. So uh, it was, you know, a miserable upbringing eating cheese. And I just had cheese tonight, you know, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's you just know. you just you just learn to deal with it. Yeah, you just you try to pretend you're building a tolerance, but you don't. I, I, I don't think there's actually lactose intolerant Italians. They just refuse just beat it into existence. Yeah. It's, it just is. I'm an American. Yeah, yeah. that's it. <laughs> Um, so I want you to tell me a little bit about like how you got into music and what really started your, your love of music. Cause now you're, you know, you're creating music, you're composing beats, you're doing all this different stuff. Like when did your love of music begin? 
Um, I, so when I was young, like probably as long as I can remember five, six years old, I always wanted to play different instruments. I was really obsessed with trying to play piano. And I started, I think when I was like seven. Um, and then I just hated the structure of lessons. Mm -hmm. I had a teacher who was just one of those, you know, stereotypical teachers who was kind of like no offense to them. I don't even remember who they are, but just that washed up bitter kind of musician, like oh, now I have to teach kids sort of thing. So I, I quit that. Um, my brother, so growing up in New Jersey, my brother was like very, very obsessed with Bruce Springsteen. So for many years, that's the only music that I thought existed at all. And it, everything was Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. So then I got really into wanting to play saxophone because Clarence Clemens from his band is, was just a badass. And uh, he's just like the coolest dude in the band. So I start playing sax. Same sort of thing happened. You know, got, I basically didn't like the structure, but I think it was a little bit of like a work ethic thing too. Just kind mm -hmm. of being lazy, not understanding that like you're not going to be good for a while. Then I started playing guitar uh, maybe two years after that. And as I look back on the trajectory of that stuff, I realized that like, I always just wanted to get into something where I could, you know, I, I like writing. I just really like creating and writing and making things from scratch. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember when I was a kid, I used to always change words of songs because I used to find it funny when people would get words wrong. Mm -hmm. That would be me. I, I'm terrible, terrible with lyrics. It's such a classic joke people make. And I think it's really funny. But when I was a kid, I would do it as like, I would do it intentionally. Um, instead of making it like, oh, I don't know the actual words. I would be like, wouldn't it be funnier if the, or combine like different choruses of songs together. And I just didn't know that any of this stuff was like, weird or like showing a uh, a super interest in music i just it was just normal for me my parents always like were playing music um you know like listening to music nobody mm -hmm. in my family played any instruments and then just as i started playing guitar maybe like sixth grade that for me was like okay i can get my ideas out i could write mm -hmm. a little bit faster less a little bit less of a learning curve after learning the other stuff and then, you know, as time went on, it just started to be like, you know, you have life choices. What are you going to do? You're in high school sort of shit. Um, kind of went down like a stoner type of path in high school. And mm -hmm. then that just led to quitting sports. Like baseball was my obsession. Um, it's so funny in the in the baseball bat episode, that dude goes, well, he said something like I'm five, six on a good day or something. Yeah. So I knew <laughs> but I had that same sort of realization. I remember sitting down with my dad. And I was maybe like eighth grade or ninth grade or something. And it was like tryouts for uh, the high school team. Freshman ball was coming up. And like, I remember asking him uh, like, like all shy, you know, it was probably a little bit earlier than this, but I was all like, I was like, when do you think like the professional players like knew they were going to, you know, go on and play professionally. Mm -hmm. And my dad he just like shot it so straight with me. And he was like, Oh, they, they knew from like little league, like since they were young, mm -hmm. like they were, always, he's like, they were, those people were usually always the best in whatever league they were in. So, you know, you kind of, that's how like competitive it is. Like as you get higher up and then I just put two and two together and was like, in not so many words, he was like, you know, it's, you pretty much should know by now, dude, it's not happening. <laughs> this might not be, this might not be the thing. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, I was so, uh, so into sport. I'm still into sports. I love competing and that shit, but, um, yeah, as time went on, like music just became this thing for me that was really, it was so different than sports. Didn't have to be competitive, even though it gets competitive as you get more serious and money gets involved, but 
it was just this, uh, I guess like therapeutic, but it was a place for me to be like, wow, I actually felt like a person. Cause before that, man, I didn't really feel like I had a personality. I felt really boring. I felt really scared of most things and anxious. Mm -hmm. And that first time hitting the stage. Um, and I have a story about that, but I won't go into it now. Uh, you know, I'll let you set that question up later. That first time hitting the stage, man, was like, I literally felt like energy come out of me. I was doing vocals, which I was so nervous about doing. I had never done that in front of people and everything changed from that moment on. And I was like, I don't even care if I fail at this, like, this is fun. I feel like I have a purpose and I feel like people are are looking at me. Like I serve something instead Mm -hmm. of just what do you, what are you, who are you sort of thing, you know? That's awesome. Okay. So take me back a little bit because so, you, you, you know, you dabble in the piano, you dabble in, you know, the saxophone, and then you pick up that guitar. And are you at that point, you know, obviously you have maybe an idea of how to read music. Like, are you writing full songs in sixth grade about your, you know, middle school crush? Like, what, what were the, what were you creating at that point when you're first, you know, getting into the guitar? It's funny. So, um, when I was doing piano right when i was eight years old i I wrote a song called crazy eights and it was literally like like a blues thing like do 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 like back and forth super simple and then uh and i performed it for like people uh my aunts and uncles and stuff Mm -hmm. at my house and when i think back on that i'm like oh oh shit okay it was always about the writing aspect of it um and less about like i want to be a virtuoso at something Mm -hmm. um and then that so in sixth grade i was listening to a lot of like hip-hop but also like a lot of green day that was kind of like my gateway into like you know they use a lot of like power chords on guitar which like Mm -hmm. are easier to learn um and yeah man i was maybe not about like a crush or something but i was writing about very like introspective kind of stuff like i don't know if i still have it i think i might have it on an old ipod but i had this whole song about um it was just about like deeper life stuff but i don't think i really knew what i was talking about yeah and then fast forward about a year or two when I met my best friend Tyler in like middle school then we started making basically like parody stuff of of whatever hip-hop was on so like a Mm -hmm. lot of like Lil Wayne and uh you know whatever shit was just going on then which just felt like soldier boy stuff like just very it felt like corny Mm -hmm. to us it's like transitioned into like this super digital uh, world, you know, and it was still kind of clunky and the production wasn't great and it was kind of cheesy. So we just, and did you know that. that at the time? Like, were you in seventh grade and you were like, this, t- like, there's something that feels off about this. I, yeah, we felt that because what we grew up on was like, um, like I mentioned, Bruce Springsteen, which, you know, hey, mm-hmm. take him or leave him some, some fantastic production, like huge budgets on those albums and stuff. And then Led Zeppelin, uh, you know, a lot of old blues stuff, um, the Beatles, Black, my dad loved Black Sabbath, like a blast and every weekend, just Black Sabbath, like super loud mm-hmm. um, in my house. So like, you don't know it at the time, but that's kind of like this golden age of vintage, like recording gear and like quality. It's like a pinnacle of quality in recording. Um, it's, it's harder to use. It's more costly. It's takes up more space than, than digital than like a fully digital setup. But in a way, I don't think we were wrong about mm-hmm. like that idea of like, this feels fake or this feels like quantized or, or computer based, whatever. And, and listen, they were using computers and synths and stuff in, in the sixties, seventies and eighties too. So it's not like that was the first time, but mm-hmm. I think it was the first time where things were just 
kind of built around that. So we weren't wrong, but yeah, I think we kind of knew because that's what we looked up to at the time was like the classic rock stuff, you know, especially yeah. where I'm from. Like all the radio is that shit. Yeah, I want. I wanted to maybe we'll come back to this a little bit too, but I I wanted. I'm curious your thoughts on how the just even the technology of being able to record and that you know in a sense anybody is anybody is a musician now you've got a phone and a computer like you can kind of piece something together and and a lot of these songs are made in not like hours or days or years but in like minutes so yeah. what is your thought and, and how have you sort of navigated that changing landscape of of recording it's a, it's a lot, man. It's, uh, you know, it's definitely, this is something over the last year or so I've been really, I don't even want to say obsessed with, because it's not like, I'm not like toiling on what to do. I, I think I have a pretty good action plan of how I want to combat it, but I think that it's amazing. And a lot of my entry into music and production and video editing, all the stuff is contingent on, getting access through easier technology because it eventually what happens is it just drives the cost down and it mm -hmm. does it no longer costs $10,000 to record something or sit and learn how to use a mixing console or something. Um, so that's good. But then I think what happens is it devalues the entire pool of what's getting put out. So you know, Drake can make money and certain Cardi B can go and make money and certain people can make money. Um, but in terms of like undiscovered or independent people like myself or, you know, millions of others, it's not that it's any different than the old industry, because this is always how the industry's worked. It's just that you're being sold this idea that because it's so easy, your road to, to it may be easier or faster or something. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just simply not true. Because now what you're seeing is like thing, music doesn't cost money. I don't care what anyone says. It doesn't it doesn't actually cost money to go, you know, stream music or whatever, or listen right. to YouTube. And I benefit from that because I get to listen to a million things a day, but I get bored. I'm not, you know, polarized or super excited about any particular like new stuff coming out until maybe that one thing every few months hits me. Um, and it's put me in this conundrum where I don't know how I feel. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be an old head and just complain about the way things used to be, but I also don't want to be, like everybody should make a fucking beat on their iPhone. Cause I don't believe in that fully, mm -hmm. you know, it's cool. I love the easy access and, uh, and the learning curve has kind of just been like lowered a little bit, but yeah, I've been bored with, with modern music for maybe six months, seven months now, like genuinely mm -hmm. at a loss for, you know, it, cause everything starts to feel the same to me uh, when I go on these streaming services. Yeah. I want to hear, um, tell Tell me a little bit more about that learning curve for you. And like, cause from what I understand, you're entirely self-taught have basically just sort of fit, like, I, I, I don't know, but did, like, were you in, did you go to music school? It didn't seem like you loved like the lessons as a kid. Like how did you start to learn how to mix music and compose, you know, beats and things like that? Like how did, how did that development process go for you? Yeah, man. I, um, I was actually telling the story today. So I, I did go to music school. I went to Berkeley okay. um, in Boston. Are you, are you located in Boston? Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, I, I feel like I should mention that, but I basically, when I, you know, I started playing guitar and I taught myself for 
probably a year, right? Mm -hmm. And I just learned by ear, and that was a great foundation along with the other instruments, which I didn't realize really helped me, but they really did. And then I went to, I think, three lessons or four lessons that I got as a gift at a local guitar place. And the guy was like, what do you want to learn? And he's like, you want to learn songs? And I was like, no, because I already knew kind of, I felt like I knew how to teach myself songs Mm -hmm. just by playing these like bad versions of chords, which aren't technically correct. So Mm -hmm. technique wise, I was garbage, but I could play the instrument. And then he taught, I was like, just, can you teach me like some scales? Cause like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to like solo or do anything. And he taught me what's called like a pentatonic scale. Very simple, very common in most Western music. Mm -hmm. Um, And I learned that for four lessons and I knew how to solo. And then I stopped going to the lessons. And after Mm -hmm. that point, it was like, you know, at, after that it's like i kept getting better kept learning um joined bands like did that sort of thing started performing and then i you know when you get to that crossroads like what are you going to do with your life i just did not think that i was going to apply to other colleges or do anything and my buddy was going to berkeley my best friend Mm -hmm. and i didn't know that he he was even interested in it because you know when you're a dude and you're in high school like you you kind of sometimes don't talk about that shit or you have like a pride thing on so i basically his mom at one of our shows was like because we were in a band together and she was like did you tell carmine about berkeley and i was like what and so basically she was like you should look into it too and he was like no like what do you you know like what are you talking about like you can't just make like tell someone to go apply to like a expensive school and then um but i it piqued my interest and i was just like damn like imagine we can keep this thing going take the band there Mm -hmm. um and and just you know go from there and we both happened to get in, which was cool, has its drawbacks and its its positives. You know, I think it's sometimes in hindsight, I'm like, you know, maybe maybe I could have given him that space or vice versa. Mm-hmm. But that is where I basically crammed like for two months before going to Berkeley. I took as many music related classes in my high school that I could. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Somehow I ended up with like a complete bullshit uh, schedule my senior year where I didn't. <laughs> I didn't have to do, uh, I, I elected not to take a lunch. I, I was like a year ahead in like science and math. So I just had all these free periods. So I took a couple music uh, theory related, very light, but theory related classes. And then I found this guy that was like near my town who went to Berkeley and played bass. I decided at that point, like I'm going to switch over to bass for the band and also the percentage of getting into a school like Berkeley on bass versus guitar was just way higher because mm-hmm. it's like everybody wanted to be everybody john plays guitar yeah yeah it was just like a million john mayers applying to the school so <laughs> um it basically i was like i think this will help my chances and i just got very strategic about it just treating myself as like you know i come from a very like working class area and family where it's like we're not the best, but we, but it's honest work or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I treated it like that. And I just learned whatever I had to learn uh, theory wise before that. And then got into school and looked around and was like, I don't think I belong here. Like, I don't think I deserve this. And then from that, that was probably the hardest I worked from that first year to the last year to be like, I really want to be this, you know, and Mm -hmm. I want to be, I want to know what I'm talking about. I don't, I always felt like a bullshitter, I bullshitted my way through high school, mm-hmm. you know, um, through just whatever different things like that baseball, I would find myself like trying to like not work as hard or get by on certain things. So this was the first time where I was like, are you going to do this or not? 
And uh, yeah, it was hard as shit, dude. I'm still not even, uh, you know, my big thing now is like, I want to, I really want to get into orchestral stuff. And I, I do a mm-hmm. lot of orchestral scoring and I want to score films. And when you, when you didn't grow up with that and like grow up, like writing the notes down and all the technical stuff, it's a, uh, it's a tough thing to learn in your yeah, adult. steep learning curve. Yeah, definitely. And it's intimidating. And, but it's all this thing of, I think that's why, a lot of these things become a little more exclusive over time because it's like a, it's an access and resource type thing, like anything else. And uh, I kind of want to be like, what if I was just like the, the Bruce Springsteen of film score mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's just like, yeah, I'm scoring films. And, uh, and it's a little more of that, like grit, you know, mm-hmm. that's, I love that. So did you keep the band together as you went to, as you went to college? Dude, we had a good run. We went to college, we found, one of the best drummers uh, in the world, I believe, but like, you know, uh, he's a LA session drummer now. His name's Pepe Hidalgo. First kid that I met there, we needed a drummer. Finding the drummer is always the toughest thing. This kid was amazing. Became one of my best friends. I'm in a different group with him now where mm-hmm. like we, I, I rap in it and he basically, you know, him and his buddy from Chile do, uh, you know, create all the music. So that's cool. We got a song coming out Friday, by the way. Uh, okay. But uh, yeah, so I, we met him. We played a, as much as we possibly could around Boston, and uh, and everybody freshman year looked at us like, "Why are you guys so like? Why are you guys trying to play so many shows? Like, no, nobody was doing shows freshman year, like in the mm-hmm. freshman class." And we just went for it, thinking like, "We're gonna make it. We're gonna leave this school, you know, whatever." We we stuck it, stuck through it all four years. Uh, by the end of us being in school, we were basically like throwing parties at you know, the lily pad in Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We would rent that place out. Like we would try to do it as much as possible and have parties there and everybody would get drunk because they have like a little bar and it was, it was great. And then the plan was like, what are we going to do LA or New York? So we took it toward New York because that's, you know, closer to where we're from. And, uh, and then we all lived in a house together, like in, you know, actually in New Jersey, like right across the river, and same sort of thing like went pretty hard for a little while until eventually we kind of just all like life started picking up and we were looking around and we're like all right we're all not like putting our full attention and energy into this thing Mm -hmm. and it was clunkier than that you know I'm making it sound nice right now but there was no bad blood it was just me and my best friend who'd been doing it since like eighth grade were 10 years in being like all right like maybe, maybe we should like pivot a little bit. I started getting real interested in film scoring and mm-hmm. I think he noticed that and like saw me start to like branch off into my own thing. Cause before that, man, it was just everything that I would create was from eighth grade on. Yeah. It was with this dude and, uh, and he's my best friend. I love him. It was just this kind of thing where I started to get this complex of like, uh, an identity for myself. And it's, important to think about because it's like what what does the future hold for for me as just a person you know Mm -hmm. that's yeah I'm I'm always so curious and so it sounds like you've now picked up and you've kind of created this new band since so has it really just been the two bands that you've that you've been in in your your musical career if you will um at this point you know, I've been a part of a few different groups where it's like whether it's like collaborations in a different way Mm -hmm. um especially now being at a studio, it's like I could be in a number of bands on any given week if, if things go that way. But uh, the, the band with Pepe, uh, the drummer, is basically like we've never performed. You know, it's just all mm-hmm. been 
boat for the past two years. <laughs> and it's crazy. Uh, it's just me. It's a, it's a place for me to wear that like writing and rapping hat. And they, mm-hmm. you know, they basically don't even want, they're not asking for production or like mixing or instrument playing. So it's like, all right, I'll just rap. Like, that's fine. You know, because I, I believe in doing as many different things as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, and they love it. Like they, you know, in terms of finding rappers, like it can be a very unreliable medium to like do business with people on especially if you don't have a trust with them so yeah that's been cool but yeah i don't know man i guess like uh, yeah when you're at Ber- a place like berkeley um you wind up being in a lot of different bands whether yeah. it be through school or just like jamming with different people so i feel like i've been a part of more but technically speaking like other outlets i've been like uh published on i guess you could say like mm-hmm. yeah it's probably just been those two okay and how do you like how have you thought about as your career has progressed doing sort of solo stuff versus work within a band? Cause I, you know, I've seen even just within your Instagram and things like that, like you're doing, you know, covers of stuff or you're doing your own little singles or whatever it might be. Um, like how have you balanced those two, those two worlds as you've grown older? Like, do you have more of an appetite for the the solo stuff now? I did a year ago when I started working on that and, and getting ready to put it out. Um, I was, that was another like identity crisis of like, mm-hmm. I, I think I have to establish myself and, and show everyone that I can do everything. And uh, it's always taking yourself too seriously, you know, where it's like, no, nobody's watching you to where they're mm-hmm. like, what, what is it like when he just does things? But I had this chip on my shoulder where I just, I had these ideas, like the ideas come first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the method of getting them out, like comes next. And that for me was just like, it was just exciting. It was exciting to try to sing more um, and, and really like not be afraid of, you know, trying to expand vocally. And then I remember showing my buddy Tyler uh, like, or he, you know, him hearing it after it came out and digesting it. And he was happy for me and he was like super supportive, but he was like, yeah, like in hindsight, he's like, maybe like hearing this, he's like, maybe it's kind of like, was a little more of my thing, like in the band, like maybe I was putting a little more of my influence and uh, I was never frustrated by that. I'm just a good direction taker mm-hmm. and I'm good at like, uh, it's not, I don't think that I'm not a leader necessarily. I just think that I'm really good at taking other people's visions and helping them like really grow. Right. And I've never came to that. I don't think that's anything to be like, feel negative about. So I think I've just taken those roles and other things. And this for me was like, just all my wacky ideas and crazy ideas. And the content thing is the same, same thing. The content is just a place to, uh, if I ever get a crazy idea of like, this would look really fucking trippy to like make a little video like this and then make it like full screen and put it on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Like that's just a place to try that stuff out. And maybe, maybe if it's unique enough, you get, you know, kind of known for like a certain style or something. Mm -hmm. And like, that the idea piece, I want to learn more about your writing process, if you will. Like it, it, it sounds like the ideas for you are just constantly going, 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 going. Let's say for example, it's a song. Like, is there an idea that's like, I want to make a song and all I have is this one line and we're going to build a song around that. Like what does the process like of going from nothing or an, an idea to a finished song? A lot of it's a lot of different methods that's a really good question it's um so one example is like sometimes i'll get a really cool sentence in my head you know i'll try to think of an example but uh 
I'll, I'll just get like something that I think is funny. It could, it's usually like a, either a double entendre or it's ironic in some way. And I'm like, um, you know, I should make fun of this thing, even if it's not comedic. I, that's some of my favorite stuff is stuff that pokes fun at whatever everyone thinks is cool or what's popular mm-hmm. or vice versa. Um, so that happens a lot. And then another thing that happens a lot is like just a melody that like pops into my head or just like a, just a rhythm or just like a small little chunks of stuff that I can then like expand into other things. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes like what happened on my last project was most of the songs were old, like things that I had for a couple of years, but I had finally gotten to this place where I could develop them. Cause like, you don't realize how not good you are in the moment. You just think you're like, I'm fucking great right now. And then yeah. a couple of years later, you're like, wow, I you're could like, never. I listened to the first couple episodes of this podcast and I'm like, man i still got a long way to go but i really was trash at the start but it's really not important to even uh you know anybody who focuses on that or or if has that stopped them mm-hmm. never does anything so it's uh it's that is the beauty of the whole process like i think if you don't hate your album by the time it's finished um i don't think you got better by the end of the album you know mm-hmm. i think you go through a period of like a month where you're like that is trash. Like, I, I don't even think I could put it out. Like, I don't want people to hear it. And that just means that like you got better through that boot camp of that process. I was just mm-hmm. telling a buddy of mine at the studio this the other day, but um, yeah. So it, ideas pop into my head in so many different ways. And it's really just like, go with the hot hand, whatever's working. You know, I look at it like, I don't actively think of it this way, but it's almost just like, you know, any sports situation or a guy coming off the bench or someone in the bullpen and you're like, okay, that's what I need right now is uh, like a 16 bar verse that I just got inspired to write. Let's build the, let's build this part of the song around that mm-hmm. is constant. And now that I've gotten into video over the last like three, four years, the same shit happens. I see the parallels in everything, you know, um, it's the ideas constantly come flowing in and it's like this, uh, like I get anxiety trying to keep up with them because I hate missed opportunities and I absolutely hate thinking like that was really good and that could have been something but i go through these seasons where sometimes there there's no ideas you know and is that like do you are you somebody who's sort of waits for inspiration to strike or you know i hear you know i've talked to writers that have been like you know every every morning i sit down and i open my notebook and whether there's ideas there or not i just start writing or like how how does it work for you do you kind of go in those ebbs and flows in those seasons where you're writing a lot or creating a lot and then others where you're maybe not as much I, I think I at this point I just go with them and I hate them I hate when I'm you know feeling dry because it's usually like a, a month or so of like not realizing I'm not writing or recording stuff for myself and mm-hmm. then I get super depressed and I look around and I'm like what's wrong am I it must be I'm I'm smoking too much weed or I'm not getting enough sleep or I'm doing this. And then I realize like every time this has happened, probably every year of my life for the last decade, I realize like, oh, you're not getting ideas out, you know, because you don't have any. But like you do. I've also gone through years where I make it, you know be available for the muse or whatever and go sit and then if you sit for a few hours and write when that inspiration strikes you'll have the tools to get that idea out and that's worked for me too so i don't know it's like it's i think all the things happen but the best route that i've found is make sure 
you're getting three to five, if not six or seven or eight hours of your craft in every day. Mm-hmm. And you won't, you won't miss, you know, you basically at that point, you'll, I told, I would tell Jeremy the same shit, honestly, like this mm-hmm. would be the big thing I would tell him is like, just make sure you're doing something. And it's hard because people don't realize it's not just 15 minutes or an hour, two hours. And for some people, maybe it is, but you know, if I sit down and do a video for two hours and then I, and then I write, you know, a couple ideas down and then I'm like, Oh, let me film this thing. And then I'm like, Oh, okay. Filming this thing is going to involve me playing bass. Let me mix the track after I'm done. If I can get like three hours in and hopefully more, like that's why working at a studio is the best. Cause it's all, it's all practice really at the end mm-hmm. of the day, then yeah, the, the exponential growth that you have is excellent. And then the, you're pretty much around something to record on when an idea strikes, mm-hmm. you know, cause I really do think it comes from another place, but I've also four songs out that I think are really good too, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me more about how you got the job at the studio, because I think that's such an interesting thing for creatives where, and it's, it's been so true of people that I've talked to of this balance of, okay, I got to be this like poor struggling artist, making no money, trying to like do everything myself. And then there's like, for a lot of people, the big bad boogeyman of like, you know, going to the corporate world. And it seems like you found this really great in between where you have this job at a studio, but also can kind of use it as practice for your, you know, personal career as well. So how did that come up at Little Cheddar? Yeah, man, it's really, it's really interesting. And I'm still, I'm in the throes of, you know, just being part of a still new, like, I don't know a business that's not struggling in this last year and a half, but like a new struggling business in like kind of an archaic uh, industry. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, just to be honest about it, but I basically, I started working with these classical composers, uh, this job that I wanted for like a year. And I just kept applying, kept applying. And that was to be like an assistant. I still do some work for them. Um, and basically that job was offered to me as if you can help us, you know, fundraise for this project, you can go to Abbey road. And I was like, and so I tried to get this job for, for a year and I couldn't, and I don't think I had a job at the time. I think I lost a, a better job that I had. And that was at a base shop. So it was still music related, but I was just kind of like down and out and I fucking fought for this thing. Mm-hmm. And I got this assistant job. And it definitely wasn't like everything that I wanted, but I, I was, this was day one. I, I got off a plane from visiting my family. I go see them and meet them for the first time. And they mention Abbey Road. And I'm like, this must be, I must be hearing them wrong or something. Cause like, I'm just meeting these people. And basically that was the deal. If you can help us do this, like uh, you can come and assist us in the studio and at, at Abbey Road in a, in a few weeks. And I just put my head down. And when and you I, say Abbey Road, like the iconic Abbey Road. Yeah. Okay. I got pictures, bro. <laughs> and uh, so basically I put my head down and I go home that day, which was just a whirlwind of a day. And, uh, and I, I just said, I don't care what is required or like what's going to happen. Like I'm going to Abbey Road this summer. I've never been out of the country. I'm fucking going to Europe. Like this is going to be an absolute blast and uh it's gonna be you know i'm just gonna do it and then i'm gonna come home and have a great summer and say i went to abbey road so i did that i accomplished it and it was really cool to like have that thing where it's like 
the odds seem insurmountable, but like you just claw your way. Like I'm a great weaseler and I weasel my way into situations until like I try to make myself irreplaceable or something just important. Mm -hmm. And it was that classic kind of situation. I'm still great friends with the composers now. So it's, it all worked out for the best. Go to Abbey Road. That changed my entire perspective on everything because before that, none of my work or anything was like really validated or felt validated. It just felt like, oh, I'm just a struggling artist like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And none of this like made me any money really or much money. It was just all like, uh, you know, just still getting by. So basically I come back from that and I'm like, okay, I think after seeing what the best studio looks like or one of the best studios looks like and how they function, I would like to be around that a little bit more. So I start hitting up more and more studios and I I was trying to get into studios before this, but Mm -hmm. um, I was always a little reluctant on getting into the studio world just because I know the kind of chore it can turn music into. It's Mm -hmm. not like when you're not doing it for yourself or whatever. So I basically from there, like just keep searching around for studios came up empty for a little while. And, and before during and after the trip, I was going on like a good Instagram run of just like, let me stock up content post every day for like two months. Let's mm-hmm. just like go through one of those things. Cause whenever you do that, you're just putting yourself out with more exposure for people. Mm-hmm. And this guy commented and liked my, one of my posts. He had like 300 followers at the time and it was little cheddar. And then I just DM'd him back and I saw that it was like kind of hit all the little things I was looking for small local like you know a few miles from my place I could walk there like looked like homey and just kind of chill and mm-hmm. but also knew and not a whole lot about it and uh I just messaged him and I we started on the premise of like you know I was basically like uh I can I'm I know how to make content and like you know make Instagram content and whatever I think I had more like followers than him at that at yeah. that point kind of funny I'm like I can make uh you know I know how to make content I'm, I'm good with the camera and I, I would love to make content for your studio because that was my in for most things mm-hmm. and he was like great like we should talk like uh, I'm just getting started really like you know would love to talk so we get on the phone and then boom I got the Abbey Road thing in my back pocket of like I know this guy's gonna go for that mm-hmm. So we start talking and then like a, maybe a month goes by and, and I just kept following up. And it was one of those situations where it's like, if I didn't do my due diligence or follow up, it wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Classic Instagram kind of networking type shit. And then finally we meet up and he seems like a good guy, has a lot of energy. You know, I'm very green and like looking to get in and have a lot of energy. And on that first day, he's like, why don't you just come by the studio now and check it out? And I was like, all right, cool. Like this, this sounds good. Mm-hmm. And I go there and uh, I take a look and I was like, this is fucking great, man. This is like the dream. Like, this is what I want, you know, eventually like is mm-hmm. this kind of, this kind of space, especially like it's built on top of his house. So it's like, oh, cool. you know, so it's like a separate, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with like New York style buildings and stuff, mm-hmm. but it's like a separate thing, you know, a separate landing and everything. But uh, that's eventually in the future. I want something like in proximity to like where I live. That would be great. So it wasn't wired. There were some drums set up. He has all this beautiful gear and instruments, but nothing was set up. No mics, no, no wiring, anything. And, uh, you know, he was like, I could probably use help with the tech stuff and, you know, running, running some of the software and whatever. And from that day on, like, I just kept coming back, uh, running cables, you know, doing every little thing that I could, Mm -hmm. which I was like decent at and I knew how to do, but like not 
at that. It's not that it's a small space, so it's nothing like super crazy, but it's still 40 channels. You know, it's still like placing 40 microphones and inputs around like a 700 square foot place. So there's a lot of strategy involved and you have to be like really economical with your space. And uh, from there, like we just became, we became friends pretty fast. And uh, you know, we're just like, there's not going to be a lot of money in this to start, but like, what can we do with it? And uh, that was, it was classic Instagram networking though, you know? Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Uh, (laughs) To go back to the classical composers real quick. I imagine those aren't guys you're like finding on LinkedIn. Like how do you get hooked up with a classical composer in the first place? It was actually on like a, what's the other one? Not like simply hired or like, okay. A, like it was on like a job board of some kind. On like a job board. Okay. And uh, every day I just go like film scoring needed film scoring needed, you know, like I'm going to fucking score a Netflix movie with that. <laughs> and then I uh, basically, I found them and it was kind of, it looked perfect. And then Mm -hmm. I went to their website and then everything, man, just Instagram DMS responding to stories, like commenting, whatever. And I realized after starting to work with them that like, they saw none of that shit, you know, Mm -hmm. they didn't see, they didn't see any of the messages, whatever, because someone else was handling their social media, but also like to get that other view of it when like, you're now the guy is kind of like, yeah, what am I going to do? If someone's like, you know, people don't necessarily do that. And it's still like, it's just all opportunist type. Right. Of um, but it's so, it's so easy to take it personal when you don't get responded to, or you don't, mm-hmm. they hired somebody else. This is an even better story. <laughs> this shit's hilarious. So I was in Florida visiting my family unemployed and I'm just, you know, on that trip. And I, dude, I applied to like hundreds of jobs, just like absolutely doggish about it, but I didn't want to have to go back into something I didn't want to do if Mm -hmm. I didn't have, you know, and I, uh, I get the call from them while I'm in Florida. So I'm like, all right, like, this is awesome. I was so excited. I ran in and told my family, like, Oh my God, like I I got this job. I want. And, uh, the, the lady, Lucia, one of the composers basically goes, uh, we hired somebody else. You were next on the list, but their dad died and they had to go down and, be with like their family so do you want to do it and maybe go to abbey road and that's when i thought abbey road was i thought i misheard that because i'm like i don't like you're just calling me the first time why would you say that um and yeah and it all turned out to be true but so i didn't get that job and i took it all personal for months and Mm -hmm. then i did get that job right (laughs) so and shit like that usually never happened to me at that point so eventually it is just a break you know where you get that but yeah i found them on a job board and then did the like back the back road contact type of thing, mm. you know? Amazing. Um, Which is my favorite method. To switch gears maybe a little bit, but but I'm curious, like I want to hear more about your musical influence, if you will. Maybe that's not the right the right word, but it's such a unique position that you're in where you, you know, you're composing films and, or, and you're, you're working on short films and, and like that is seeming like, like the goal for you on that side of things but then you're also like releasing a rap song and you're, you know, writing lyrics. So like, where does your music, like, are you looking at Beethoven and, you know, composers and drawing inspiration there? And you're also looking at rappers, like what is your kind of, (laughs) I don't know if there are guiding artists or bands or things that you kind of look towards for inspiration at this point. Yeah. I don't know if this is good of me. Like, I don't know if this is, uh, or maybe one day I'll be like, 
you know, so happy or like I'll regret this yeah. decision, but I want to be like five different people. And it's like, I don't see why you shouldn't be, especially with how devalued shit has gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so I listen to film scores all the time. That's generally like what I'll listen to for like ambient, you know, listening mm-hmm. type of stuff. Uh, I tried to surround myself with people who need music for content to give myself an excuse to practice like in something that people are going to see mm-hmm. I could practice to scenes or shit that I shoot. I used to do that for a year. I just would go around and shoot videos, ambient videos of, of Brooklyn or New York and then score those. But eventually that gets kind of like, you know, it gets kind of old and you're like, I want to serve somebody else with it. Mm-hmm. Um, And then with rap, like it's probably the biggest thing that I've struggled with because it's like one of the first things I did and people, you know, it doesn't matter what circle it's been in or what different group, or if it's been more hip hop guys or rock guys or whatever, I've always put, I've always put myself in tough positions with rap, you know, being a, like a white rapper is always a fear. I don't want to be like a, I don't want to be the lame white rapper. Nobody does, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's like a thing of like, I always had that chip on my shoulder with that at times it's made me not maybe not want to do it and be like, ah, whatever. But then I'll get people that are serious around me whose opinions I trust be like, don't stop doing that. Like you're great at it. Like you have to do this, man. Mm -hmm. And that's what Pepe and the dude Fito from the band's called Chukrut, the Chilean rap group. But uh, that's, that's who they've been for me over the last couple of years. They're like, they would think I'm crazy to not do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, man, it's this interesting thing where it's that stuff. It's production. I, I love making beats. I've been making beats for years. And, you know, I, it's something that like I get rusty at from time to time if I focus on some of the other things. But and then it's the content thing, which I think plays into all of this stuff. But I I, I love all these different things. And it's, it's it's once again, that same kind of thing. Like you could never it's like you never have. There's like rarely a day where it's like. I don't feel like doing any of those things, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I feel really spread way too thin. I'm on the phone with, you know, 10, 15 people any given week. That's like, just, yeah, like I'll, I'll get this clip to you then. Or like, okay, I'm going to finish this score. But I, I, I'm trying to create this reality where I feel like that businessman or like that owner of a company or something like right now in my twenties, even mm-hmm. though I'm not trying to fake it, but it's not really the truth. I don't have, there's not hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line and contracts and stuff like that. I'm trying to get by and make money. Yeah. But but I, if I can do that with all these different things, then I think over time, just grow them into stuff that does generate, you know, money. And if one of them pops off, then, okay, I'll go with the stronger one. But um, I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question, but I, I don't know why, but I remember getting, getting to Berkeley and all, all the business professors would be like, pick one thing that you're good at and, and really work on that. And I get it. Maybe there's a few different types of people mm-hmm. in this world, but I said, fuck that. I'm that's not what I'm doing. You know, I do seven, eight different things and I want to get good at all of them and everything along the way, you know, you look back on your life and you're like, Oh shit. Like I'm, I'm not successful yet. I didn't make it. But then I look at like the seven or eight different totally different mediums that I'm really, that I feel really confident in and that I feel like I'm great at. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's, I don't know a lot of people who do that. And I've always wanted to be unique. So to me, it's like, what, what's more unique than uh, like, I think people who rap and understand music theory, um, that's cool to me, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I so much admire your 
ability to like teach yourself and learn and not just learn one thing, like learn in such a diverse array. Like it's so, it's so impressive. Um, I, I want to ask like your, your promotion. I mean, the, con the content thing I think is so interesting with all the music that you have going on because you you're clearly a very skilled like videographer editor have sort of like self-taught yourself that as well. So how do you think about promotion of you in a sense, like promoting your brand, promoting your music, promoting your scores? Um, Cause you've, I think you take a, a super unique approach that not a lot of people in the music world necessarily take to like promote your, your work. It's um, so Mike Wirtz, the owner of little cheddar, um, he's been, you know, like a, a huge influence on me, but like mainly in the marketing space. He's a marketing, you know, wizard. We have a joke where we call each other geniuses because we think people throw the word around too much. Mm -hmm. And one day I said I was great at something and he's now he says that I called myself a genius, but <laughs> I just think it's funny. I think people uh, throw around genius all the time, like super casually, but I, you know, he's borderline a marketing genius. Like when it comes to stuff, he just really, he knows the world. He knows that like brutal, aggressive mentality that you kind of have to have to actually sell things and, and understands like the, you know, the technical analysis behind it. So mm -hmm. I've marketed poorly and, you know, just embarrassingly for most of my life, like whenever I've tried, you know, and it's the sort of thing where like, you don't want to look up help or you don't want to ask people or you see someone do something that you're like, fuck, I could have done that, but you don't go and do it after because you don't want to copy them or whatever. Mm -hmm. And what I started to realize was like people respond to comedy or they respond to tragedy. So like, I don't want to play the victim. I have no victim to play here. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy with my life. I, I made all these choices and decisions for myself. So I think I can try to make people laugh because I've always wanted to comedy is like another obsession of mine where it's like, mm -hmm. I don't really have the guts to like go up and be a stand up, but like, that's what I would have chosen if I didn't choose all of this, you know? Um, it's like, a, I wish I did that sort mm -hmm. of thing. Um, so when I make these videos for promotion or whatever, it's, I started doing it for my album last year. And I was just, you know, I was stuck at home and I'm like, I just want to make fun of what everyone's doing on Instagram, the yoga shit, the cell, like I, it's all good stuff, you know, don't mm -hmm. get me wrong, but, but just in like a South Park type of way, like, you know, it's annoying and it's just like, we get it. Like, you know, like mm -hmm. you're, you're uh, healthy or like you eat a lot of food or, you know, you, your, your rap song is coming out this weekend. Like awesome. Mm -hmm. It becomes spam at a certain point because everything's so saturated. Like I said, I take part in all these things. So I thought like, let me just poke fun at it and let me make fun of it. And I think it will piss some people off and get attention that way. But I also think like most people will just you know, see me being a goofball. That's also something I've done since I was a kid. Me and my friends would always take out the video camera and, uh, you know, just make stupid, like mm -hmm. try to make stupid comedy. And uh, I remember in like sixth grade, I've been having these memories lately as this dream becomes like slightly more real. And like, you feel like you're getting closer to like whatever success is. Mm -hmm. um, I, in sixth grade, I, we, me and like these, this like nerdy group of friends that I had was like, uh, we did a, a project and it was like about history or politics or something. And I just basically did like an SNL, like George Bush impression. Cause like George Bush was like, you know, on the news every fucking mm -hmm. day. 
And uh, looking back on that, I remember that I saw the teachers watching it. Like it was on, uh, you know, a little VHS type of thing. And I saw the teachers watching it, like when the students weren't in the room, when I wasn't yeah. in the room. And I was like, it made me feel weird. But I, but I think it was that little bit of attention of just like, oh, like, did they actually like this? Did they like, like that? Yeah. yeah. I got somebody to bite. Yeah. And I, th- so I think back on that sometimes, but yeah, I think you, like when, when you watch TV, right. And you're seeing all these different commercials and stuff, I I want to vomit at the ones that are like just trying to be dramatic or serious Mm -hmm. Um, unless it's like so over the top that they're like a car commercial where it's like, sure, drive, drive the fucking car. I know what it is, you know, put the number on the screen, tell me what the model is and I'm not going to buy it, you know, Mm -hmm. because I can't buy a car. But if it's like the shit that's funny or like, uh, I think progressive does really good ones. Like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of companies out there who do good ones. So even if they're a little cheesy, it is what it is that to me is like, that's what marketing should be. Um, I don't think it should, it should play on anyone's emotions in a sad way or, you know, and I get that at the end of the day, it's to drive people to like, to buy the thing. I understand that's the goal. But when I see that stuff that connects with me and that makes me want to either buy the thing or talk about the thing and spread the word. Mm -hmm. So I just try to do that same thing. And uh, so I did it for my album and we took a little hiatus at that point from the studio. It was at the beginning of quarantine and then when we got back together, Mike was like, oh, like, I want to do characters. Like he basically, I basically lit a fire under his ass to like, want to do it at the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we start doing it at the studio and like went further with it. Cause I maybe made 15 videos at home, a character or two, but nothing that I really committed to. Then we go to the studio and we're putting on wigs and we're dressing up and, you know, we're making like some, some political humor or whatever, and like took it a step further mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was the thing that helped us just kind of show like, you know, differentiate ourselves from other studios and show right. we have a sense of humor. We're funny. If you come hang out with us, like we'll put you, you in a good step. time. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll have fun. We can bust balls, but also if you want to be in a sketch, like that's promotion for you. And it just, it goes in this cycle, um, constantly and, I, I love it. I'm so happy that I did it because I feel like I've gotten, now I've gotten acting practice over the last year. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. expect to have that. That's awesome. I love, I mean, it's just so interesting. Like I've loved even just going through your Instagram and going through the little cheddar stuff. Like it's so cool that I think it's a very smart approach to content and to, to marketing. So if you were to, you know, you've got a new song coming out on Friday. Yeah sell sell the people listening to the show on why they should on why they should listen to your new song and you know what's in what's in store with that so it's the most accessible poppiest song that uh carmine mattia has ever been a part of um it's me rapping i have two nice verses and i do the hooks as well but we also have this wonderful singer from brazil named marina mia uh singing beautiful angelic voice on the chorus and then, you know, Pepe and Fito just doing their thing. They're lo-fi, nasty hip-hop drums and bass and guitar. Um, it's just a fun song. And if you're trying to put something on, like with the top down, driving down the street in, uh, you know, in Somerville, Mass, and you're, uh, it's uh, the sun's get the sunshine is uh, shining on you out there. It's the perfect, like, springtime, summertime jam, you know? All right. I'll, I'll tune into that. So my last question for you to, to bring it all home, I've been, so I round out every show with the line, stay weird. And mm-hmm. I've now started trying to ask, I, I hadn't done this for a while, but I'm like, I need, there's, you know, all these podcasts have the one question that they ask all the time. So my question to you that I've started asking is what makes you Carmine Mattia weird? What makes me weird? Yeah. 
Oh, dude, I'm such an old fucking man. I am, <laughs> I am an old man. I've been that way my whole life. Um, to me, certain things are just fun and certain things just aren't fun. And uh, I'm also very like, I'm not a spontaneous person out. I can be very introverted around other people. Um, but I also am very like, I just like to walk around the house and like yell things or like sing things to my girlfriend about like, you know, whatever we're talking about and just do, I always thought that that kind of spontaneity and just like making shit in like reality, just like distorted was always just like more fun than just being like, you know, what should we do now? Should we go to bed? Yeah, let's go to bed. I think that that's just weird. And I think that's weird. So, um, and I'm just very psychoanalytical and I'm just always, it's to a, to a fault. Definitely. You know, I'll be the person at the party who's like having a good time, but then I'm like looking at everyone just being like, it's fascinating the way humans, you know, take part in, in their yeah. social interactions. And it's like, um, yeah, man, I just can't turn, you know, I can't turn the brain off. And, uh, sometimes I think people think that I'm lame or that I don't want to party or have fun or whatever. But to me, it's just kind of like, I have too much to try and accomplish or like, you know, that I want to do. And maybe I'm at a deficit. Maybe it shouldn't be this hard to accomplish these things. But for me, this is just, it is what it is. And I know what I'm going to, I know the work that I'm going to have to put in to get to where I want to go. So I don't know. Does that make me weird? (laughs) is a wrap on this week's episode of Destination Different. Big time thank you to Carmine for joining me on this week's show. There's, you know, I've had a lot of people on this show and they do one thing. They're one-track minds. They, they own a business or they write books or they paint and they, they do their thing and they do it really, really well. Carmine might be the first person I've had that does seven different things very, very well. He's a composer. He's a songwriter. He's a guitar player. He's a beat maker. He is a content creator. He is a videographer. He is an actor. He's a rapper. The guy seemingly does a little bit of everything, and it was just so great to get the chance to talk to him, hear about his musical career, kind of how he came up in the the music industry and how he's now making a name for himself by becoming a master of all trades. Is that the expression? I don't know. But amazing story. I'm so excited to see what his song sounds like and looks like on Friday. So I'll link up in the description here so you can check out his work when it drops this week. Other than that, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. We are now into the 70s, 71, I believe this is episode 71 of Destination Different, absolutely mind-blowing to me. We're a year and a half into this show and just continuing to talk to amazing people, continuing to seek out people who are doing things differently. And I am so, so, so excited, reinvigorated to take this thing to the next level, to keep building and growing the Destination Different brand. So with that, I will send us off into the sunset on this St. Patrick's Day. Hope everybody is cracking a beer 
today. And we'll be back again next week, next Wednesday, with another episode of Destination Different. Until then, stay weird. Your love song, baby